0: Hello and welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. Today we're speaking with Dr. Jenny Donohue, who is a three-time best-selling author and professional learning facilitator with more than 20 years' experience in leading school change. Jenny completed her doctorate in 2010. Her dissertation focused on fostering metacognition in adolescent students. In addition to her writing and consulting work, Jenny's on contract with the Council of Ontario Directors of Education, In this role, she works alongside system and school leaders in order to improve the quality professional learning and collaboration in schools and districts. Jenny has also designed and taught experienced principals courses for the Ontario Principals Council and additional qualification courses for the University of Windsor. Jenny is the past president of Learning Forward Ontario. Recently in an interview with John Hattie when asked about whose work he reads and recommends, He named Jenny Donahue in a short list of up-and-coming educational leaders. Now, if you like what you're hearing, you can connect with us, Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, follow us on Twitter at IntersectionEd, or even on Facebook, and we really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's my conversation with Dr. Jenny Donahue. We started out talking about the definition of collective efficacy and how the term may be used by people who are still unfamiliar with this concept.
1: And I've even heard John Hattie say the same thing. He said it's more complicated than just making teachers feel good about themselves. Other misconceptions is that anything under the sun, basically, that builds trust or community is efficacy-enhancing. And collective efficacy, I think what's key is that it develops when teams realize that through their combined efforts, they can have or make a positive impact on the outcomes of students. Now, you asked about a definition. Uh, Megan Shannon Moran, she's um, one of the leading researchers on teacher efficacy and collective efficacy. And she defines collective efficacy as the belief that teachers in a school make an educational difference to their students over and above the educational impact of their homes and communities. And so, by definition, collective efficacy is a shared conviction that what we do in schools really matters. And another misconception is the fact that collective efficacy is a new concept. It's not new. Uh, The research demonstrating that collective efficacy predicts student achievement over and above socioeconomic status dates back many years. And so, I think just because it's become um, more well-known in the recent past and a popular term that. People assume that it's new, and it's definitely not new. The, the research is robust and dating back 30 to 40 years.
0: Right. Now, I'm interested to know how you came to have an interest in collective efficacy, or how did you, I don't know, take notice of this concept? Obviously, it's not new, but it seems really powerful. How did, how did you meet it? How did you come to interact with it?
1: Well, the first time I heard uh, the term really collective efficacy, I mean, I studied teacher efficacy as part of the new teacher induction program when I was uh, in the district office here in one of the school boards in Ontario, school districts in Ontario. And then um, sitting in the audience at one of the visible learning conferences, I heard John Hattie, who, of course, continues to update his research, his database that uh, demonstrates the factors that influence student learning. Um, based on an updated meta-analysis John shared at a conference um, the notion that collective efficacy was uh, at the top of the list of the influences that matter most in raising student achievement. And it's funny because I've done a lot of work with teams in schools, um, done a lot of uh, work strengthening professional learning communities in my role as a support person in different districts. So when I heard John talk about it, I started to think about my own personal experiences and the the work I've done in some of the school districts um, in North America and realized that I had a lot of examples where uh, teams, through their shared efforts or their combined efforts, have developed a sense of efficacy because they've realized positive impact on student achievement. And so for me, my own form of professional development really becomes around writing about my professional practices. And so um, building on both the research, the empirical research studies, and trying to really unpack those and make them practical for educators, and then also drawing on my own experiences in working with teams and seeing how teams build a sense of advocacy, I decided to sit down and write about it.
0: Now, I think that there's a big leap, and, and that's understanding what collective efficacy is, but then actually implementing it in schools. And and I think that that's a leap that, that sometimes we struggle with. What do you recommend to schools when they're looking at collective efficacy? They say, this is great. I want to put this in place in my school. What do you tell them or what do you suggest to do?
1: That's another great question. It's one that gets asked most often. And I just want to start by saying that collective efficacy results in such a high effect size because efficacy beliefs impact how teens think, feel, motivate themselves, and behave. And that quote actually comes from Albert Bandura, who's the educational psychologist out of Stanford University who coined the term efficacy and has been studying it for years. Um, for me, the key is that efficacy beliefs are a driver of quality implementation um, we don't need any more research about what works in schools. We've had lots of research, including 15 years ago, Robert Marzano's work on translating research into practice, along with John Hattie's synthesis, of course. What we need to do is find ways to make evidence-based practices work in our environments, given our unique circumstances, and our particular students. And I believe that collective efficacy plays a big role in doing that, because once efficacy is developed teams figure out how to make evidence-based practices work to their advantage. We know that efficacy results in greater persistence, greater effort, and there's a wealth of research that shows other positive consequences that come from a shared sense of efficacy, which include things like greater job satisfaction, greater extent of teacher leadership in schools. Teachers are more likely to um, engage parents in meaningful ways in their child's education. So collective efficacy isn't a silver bullet. But it works because it results in positive, productive patterns of behavior on the parts of the adults in the building. That's point number one. And so when we think about um, how we might look to develop efficacy in schools, I think there's um, some enabling conditions that we can consider based on research, um, including things like empowering teachers. Um, We know that there's a clear and strong relationship between the degree of teacher leadership in schools and collective efficacy. And so I think it's important for both formal and informal leaders to think about how they might include teachers in meaningful, um, you know, instructional improvement where you empower teachers through helping them and affording them decision-making power on issues that are related to school improvement. Um, Another enabling condition is cohesive teacher knowledge. It's important for teachers to have more intimate knowledge about what goes on inside each other's classrooms. And when teachers do, they tend to have greater efficacy beliefs. Cohesion really speaking to the degree to which teachers um, share similar ideas about what constitutes sound instruction um, and assessment practices. And that cohesion is really built through collaboration, uh, which is another really critical thing, um, affording teachers time to come together to engage in inquiry where they're identifying some of the problems of practice, uh, building on each other's experiences and expertise to help solve some of those dilemmas. Um, That process really um, helps teachers generate knowledge and can become quite efficacy enhancing when they see the results from their combined efforts. And so that idea of embedded reflective practices um, occurring through supportive leadership. Um, leaders really need to ensure teachers have uh, what they need to um, do their work, the resources, the time to collaborate, um, and just, you know, be responsive to teachers' needs. And so I know there was a lot packed in there, but the big ideas are empowering teachers, ensuring teachers have opportunities to, um, you know, gain knowledge together and, and know more about what happens in each other's classrooms through embedded reflective practices that are um, supported through
0: leadership. I, I think that what you're saying is is so important and what makes me... Not not sad, but what makes me it's kind of a, a query I have is that it oftentimes in, in in points of struggle or when budgets are getting low or anything like that I feel like the enabling conditions that you're talking about are some of the first ones that get that get cut right time for collaboration time to visit each other's classrooms um, time to collectively think about where we want to be offering do you have any I don't know, solutions or, or or words of wisdom for for schools that are facing maybe some budgetary concerns and 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 you know just talking about how we might get around or how we might ensure that those enabling conditions continue.
1: Yeah, that's always a, a struggle when, when time gets cut because it's so important to allow teachers time to collaborate. Um, and what I've seen in, in some of the schools where this works really taking hold is teachers will find their own time, and I know that shouldn't be an expectation. Um, but I know that when teachers see value in um, their collaboration and, and the resulting outcomes that that it does for students, that they they tend to find time. And I've seen um, opportunities where leaders have been very strategic in utilizing you know um, different approaches to create that time, whether it be uh, scheduling common prep for teachers that have the same subjects or um, whether it be being very strategic with the use of um, occasional teachers, you know, bringing those in as part of the budget, um, making sure that the faculty meetings are, are used for professional learning if that's an option. So I know that there's some um, very creative ways that, that leaders has built in time for teachers. Um, I don't think there's any one Um, you know, cookie cutter solution, but just recognizing how important that is as a starting place.
0: I think that that speaks to uh, the recognizing the local context. I think that uh, you mentioned that all of these things need to be predicated on the needs of the school and what the school's able to do. And so that that comes back to the idea that we have to have that flexibility. So I really appreciate what you're saying there. I'm also interested in the idea of learning environments, um, where we learn, how we learn. And when you think back to some of the best learning experiences that you've had, I'm wondering what made them powerful. Um, Was there people or places or activities that you think helped make learning better in that situation?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think a lot about this based on myself as a learner, but also a person who designs professional learning for other educators. And I think that there's some critical elements that we need to take into consideration, including, um, ample processing time. Um, some of these concepts like collective efficacy can be quite complex, complicated. And so giving people time to talk and contextualize, I think is really critical. Um, I think being involved in activities that make you think when you're doing the thinking, you're doing the learning. And I guess, um, constructivism comes to mind that notion of, um, you know, discovering um, rather than being told, really involving learners in um, constructing their own meaning through contextualizing and through conversations with with each other. Um, And I think, of course, professional learning has to be grounded in practice, and it has to involve reflection. And I think an important element as well is that it's important that somebody plays the role of challenging uh, assumptions and identifying the assumptions that, that we bring to to the table. Um, finally, when I think of um, characteri- characteristics of powerful professional learning, I think one of the critical elements is that we need to purposefully tap into the sources of efficacy um, when we're designing professional development. And so sources of collective efficacy, two of the main sources are mastery experiences and vicarious experiences. And so a mastery experience occurs when a team um, has had a successful performance accomplishment where they've set out to accomplish a goal, and through their combined efforts, they realize that uh, they were successful, and as a result, their efficacy becomes enhanced. And so I think when we think about designing professional learning, we have to think about how can we help teams make that connection between their combined efforts and um, positive outcomes for students. And then the second um, source of efficacy is vicarious experience, and that happens when individuals or teams see others meet with success, others that might have similar challenges and opportunities um, that, you know, maybe there's similar demographics at a neighboring school, but they're um, getting better results. It might just even be a team down the hall that are um, having particular success with different groups of students. And so teams start to see that if others can do it, then certainly we can do it too. So giving those opportunities during professional learning for observation to occur and for people to be able to um, see the impact that others are having can be quite efficacy enhancing and cause teams to take risks that perhaps otherwise they
0: might not. Now, you talk about taking risks. Uh, I was wondering if you had a favorite failure or success that really helped you learn an important lesson on your way as an educator or, or even as just as a person, something that you think back on. And, um, when you're thinking about an important moment, you, you learned an important lesson then.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I've, um, shared this story a few times with others and it happened very early in my career. I was actually my first year beginning teacher and the lesson was around the importance of feedback, but, um, I had this one particular student in my class who was a very high achiever, and I taught him the core subjects, um, English and, well, language arts and mathematics and uh, science. But I was also uh, the art teacher, and um, it was a long semester. And this particular student received a very low grade on his report card in art. And I noticed that um, parent-teacher interview night, his parents were coming in, uh, which kind of surprised me because they hadn't in the past. And again, most of his grades were, were fine. He was an A student. And when I looked at his report card, I realized, oh, they're probably coming in to talk about his art grade. And so, you know, it's, yeah, and living back in, in those days, it, you know, just reflecting back on this, this incident was really a lesson learned for me because in prepping for the parent-teacher interview, I pulled out all of his artwork over the course of the semester I pulled out exemplars, you know, that would show, demonstrate higher proficiency, and I felt that I was ready um, until his mom sat across the table from me and asked me one simple question. She asked me what kind of feedback I had given that particular student through the course of the semester, and I realized that I hadn't. Um, And she said to me, do you think if Greg knew um, that he was receiving this kind of grade throughout the semester he wouldn't have taken steps to improve and she was right and I felt like hiding (laughs) under my desk but I'm glad that happened to me very early on because you know it just reinforced the concept of how important it is to provide students with ongoing feedback because they'll use it to improve their work and uh, it's embarrassing you know it was my first year um, but it's something I never forgot and an important lesson that, that, uh, stuck with me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have a couple questions that are more quick hitters, um, might be a shorter answer. I was wondering if you have a favorite app website or some other media that you really like right now.
1: Um, this is going to just show the nerd in me. I spend most of my online time in educational databases searching <laughs> nice. out research.
0: Is there a book that you quote or that you refer to a lot you like to give to people?
1: Uh, great question. I love reading. I've got a ton of books on my shelf, but the number one that comes to mind is called Intentional Interruption. Subtitle is Breaking Down the Barriers to Transform Professional Practice. It's a great little read by uh, Stephen Katz and Lisa Aindak, Um, and they really just unpack the cognitive biases that get in the way of uh, adult learning.
0: Awesome. Is there anything that you do every day or most days that helps you to be well and healthy?
1: Uh, I think number one is the time I get to spend with my puppies. (laughs) And even if I'm not home because I'm on the road a lot, when I'm on airplanes, just looking at pictures of them or videos of the two of them playing makes me happy,
0: keeps me well. That's really great. Uh, Lastly, is there an organization or person that's really inspiring you right now?
1: Well, I think of Shirley Horde often in her work. You know, Shirley's an icon in education, well-known female thought leader. Uh, A lot of her work that's well-known is around the concerns-based adoption model. And uh, she's just always been an inspiration to me.
0: Now, I'm interested in knowing what's next for you. What are some of the questions or problems that you're looking at tackling next? And what can we expect from from you, uh, maybe academically or, or in other streams, other media coming up?
1: Well, uh, just this past weekend, I spent uh, completing a paper with a co-author, Tim O'Leary, who's um, out of Melbourne, and John Hattie. And what we're doing is validating a scale that helps leaders to measure the enabling conditions for collective efficacy. Um, The existing scales that are out there measure the degree to which collective efficacy is present, but there isn't a tool to measure the anti-scenes of collective efficacy in schools and those are the things that leaders can really purposely influence um, and so we're just finishing up this paper and it's going to be published in an upcoming issue of the journal of professional capital and community
0: i'm excited for that one i actually think that's going to be uh, really great for me uh yeah i really liked your your uh preconditions or the conditions that you set out so i'm really interested in that Let's say people are looking to uh, follow up with this and to continue maybe to follow you. What's the best way that they can connect with you and follow your work?
1: Um, Well, they can connect with me on Twitter and my Twitter handle is at Jenny underscore Donahue. Um, Or people can find me on my website, and um, you can find it by searching Jenny Donahue. It's actually just
0: JennyDonahue.com. That's awesome. Thanks so much for for sitting down with us today, Jenny, and and sharing your insight. Uh, I think people are really going to walk away with with a better idea of what collective efficacy is and, and how they might be able to put that in their classrooms and in their schools. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. Just a reminder that you can connect with us on our website, intersectioneducation.com, on Twitter, IntersectionEd, or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.